This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to uh, Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our evening study, uh, where we are wrestling with the last words of Moses, as we are listening to the instructions that Moses is giving the people of Israel as they stand on the plains of Moab, about to go into uh, the land of Canaan, uh, not only to conquer, but to establish a just society that will reflect the character, personality, glory, wisdom, uh, love, light of God to the nations that are around. This is his last chance to do so. Uh, it is the most popular book uh, that we find in antiquity, uh, quoted over 300 times in the New Testament. So um, it behooves us uh, to study this book as it as it um, gives a, a big basis to um, what we might call uh, the, the, the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. So we will begin um, honoring the Messiah who is present by praying. So let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Sharon. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we can spend with believers around the world and listening and just enjoying and, and sharing your word together, Lord, that changes our hearts and our minds and our souls, Lord. We just uh, open our hearts to you each one, this moment, this night, this day, wherever we are, and ask that you would speak to us through your word, Lord. Uh, send your spirit to, to open our eyes to things we haven't seen before and enlighten us with the power of your word. We thank you for your servant Aaron giving us this time and his energy and his study and we pray you speak through him and to him as he shares your word this day and enable us to speak and share together as your spirit would guide us for your glory's sake we pray amen amen okay all right so just before we begin as well for anybody who's also listening uh we also produce a uh, a weekly um sermon notes we call them sermon notes they are just a weekly uh, look at the portion that is in the Revised Common Lectionary. And um, I'll put the link in, in the in the box. For that, you would just click on the link and then you can sign up. Uh, free, shows up in your email uh, Monday morning. And um, over coffee, you can have a look at, oh, thank you, Benjamin has already put it in there. Okay, sermon notes are already now in the, in the link. Um, uh, and and you can then have it. It's not a sermon per se. It is a look at the common thread that uh, is appearing in the in the in the readings for the week. We try and look at the Hebrew context, and we try and look at some of the Hebrew perspective in some of the things that are going on, particularly what's going on in the Gospels. And um, and it just gives you a little taste or a little hint um, into uh, into the the scriptures that that sit before us. Um, it's free and, and share it as much as you like. Okay, so reading the notes from last week, which is our tradition. This is from a summary of our discussion from Deuteronomy 19, okay, which was the cities of refuge. The Israelites will ultimately triumph in conquest over the peoples of Canaan. In establishing a society that will reflect the character of God to the nations, Moses instructs the Hebrews to allocate three cities as cities of refuge. The chapter begins with Moses declaring they should do this 
after the Lord your God has destroyed the nations of Canaan. God is acknowledged as the victorious one. However, this does not absolve Israel from engaging in the fight. Aside from Jericho, the Israelites will do the bulk of the fighting. The battle indeed belongs to the Lord, as the song says. But this does not give us permission to remain passive in the work of the kingdom. So anybody who's listening in podcast land, you cannot sit on your bum and wait for the rapture. You have to be involved in the work of the kingdom. We all do. The three cities are named in Joshua 20, verses 7 and 8. They are as Kadesh in the Galilee, in the territory of the Naphtali, Shechem in Ephraim, and Hebron in Judah. There is to be established good roadways between these cities to allow ease of access. Anyone, both Jew and Gentile, who kills someone unintentionally can flee to these places. Moses then describes an example, most likely a real event, that he had to deal with during the wanderings in the wilderness of a man who kills his neighbor with an axe while collecting timber, the axe head having dislodged from the handle and inadvertently striking his companion to death. Within the broader family structure, there exists a role called the Goel, the kinsman redeemer or avenger of blood. This enforcer is to exact vengeance for murder or manslaughter by tracking and killing the perpetrator. Revenge and justice are not sought through the judiciary, that is, the priesthood. Remember from um, 17 and 18, the priests create the judiciary. Justice and revenge are not sought through the judiciary, the priests. They are actually done rather through the people themselves. Initially, three cities of refuge are established on either side of the Jordan. Should the territory of Israel expand, then Moses instructs three cities, three new cities, to be selected and established. This implies that the land under the possession of the Israelites could indeed grow, which is a very interesting point. The final borders are not announced. The implication for Israel is that of a slow invasion of the promised land and not a blitzkrieg, as perhaps initially hoped for. For example, Solomon established the port city of Elat, which was never included in the initial allocation of territory in Israel. The cities of refuge are good for the innocent. However, what of the guilty who seek to use the cities as safe havens to avoid punishment? Numbers 35 indicates that a trial will be conducted to determine innocence or guilt and that this will be conducted by the priesthood. So the priesthood are you going to be your um, sheriffs. Those found guilty will not be shown pity. Instead, they will be handed over to the Goel, the avenger. Now, following Jewish exegesis of Pardes, everyone remembers what that is? Uh, P-R-D-S, Peshat, Remez, Rosha, and Sod. These are uh, literal uh, hint uh, exegete and uh, mystery. We first acknowledge, this is the Peshat, that these statutes, the cities of refuge, hold literal application. That is, they actually happened. Right? You actually physically built cities and physically did everything that, was, uh, that you were told to. But you can also and should look for the spiritual application. This is as a reflection of the character of God and his Messiah. 
And we noted in our discussion that the Psalms declare God as our refuge. God and the Messiah are to be within easy reach of the people, without obstacles or hindrances, open to all, including the Gentile. They are to live with God in safety as an alternative to destruction. They remain protected while they reside with God, only falling prey to the enemy should they leave his protection. Moses also makes a comment about private property and the movement of boundary stones. He tells us not to do it. The spiritual principle is for us not to ignore things that have been established by our spiritual elders or the heroes, call them saints, of the past. Paul reminds us not to forget our Jewish roots. Lastly, in this new society, there will be a need for multiple witnesses in formulating judgment in legal cases. This is to protect the innocent, which might also, in some cases, protect the guilty. It is in this context of a false witness that we get the concept of eye for an eye. This punishment is for a false witness, and it is not a general principle for all cases. However, later Jewish exegesis reverts this eye to an eye to be monetary value, which then moves into the Gentile world, and it's what we still have today. You litigate, and you get money in return. So that was our uh, discussion from, from last week. Now we turn to the next topic, uh, chapter 20, okay. the laws that concern warfare. And uh, this, uh, this chapter can uh, cause some issues in, 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 in modern day Christianity. Okay. Um, particularly, uh, yeah, when it's God talking. All right. Okay. So I'll read and I'm reading from uh, an ESV, the uh, English Standard Version. So Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. And then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. Is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed the wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. And when you draw near to a city to fight against it, 
offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be forced shall be shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. <coughs> but if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. Okay, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. And the trees in the, in the field, are the trees in the field human, that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down. And you may cut down, it's that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it falls. All right, so there's our passage that we have to wrestle with and see how that applies not only to uh, the past but also to today as these are instructions for the people of God. All right, guys, Uh, where do we begin? Let's start with the usual. Okay, so what was there on an initial reading? that jumped out at you when you first read it, went, oh my gosh, really, that's in the Bible? Or is there something there that you hadn't noticed before? Or is there something you always notice every time you read, read this passage? What I always notice, Aaron, is the idea of the Jebusites for, to begin with, living in present-day Jerusalem. None of them were destroyed. And also when they crossed over, the Canaanites still existed. I think the Amorites pretty much still existed under the five kings, etc. So, Yes, there seems to be. Um, you're right. I noticed that too. Every time I read Jebusite, it's like, hang on. We, 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 never, we never seem to obey this command. Uh, even King David doesn't seem to obey this command, which is interesting. All right. But yes. Okay. Anything else? The Jebusites seem to be living quite well in Jerusalem until King David's time. Aaron, I thought um, verse 20, very interesting. I always thought that was very interesting. Only the, the trees that you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down. So the ones that are for food, we keep. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's, I, I always find this interesting. I mean, this is a good tree hug of a Bible verse, really. You know, humans, you can go and butcher each other, but you leave the foliage alone, okay? <laughs> All right. um, uh, don't make war on the land, okay? You can go make war on yourselves, but you leave the earth alone, which is interesting because um, in our modern day, we most definitely don't do, do that. We blow everything out. We blow massive holes in the ground and hope everybody falls in. Okay? Um, 
interesting. Yes, God sets it out. You don't destroy the earth. Okay, I see something with that verse, which is interesting, is from a spiritual level. You, you always hear the Lord saying, you know, the trees must bear fruit, otherwise they'll be cut down on a spiritual level that we have to produce fruit. And in this yeah. context here as well, it's, it's that kind of in a practical level. Yep. But, the, but the Lord takes it to a more spiritual level. Of course, there has to be a spiritual application to this too. It exists beyond uh, the people of Israel invading Canaan. Um, and yeah, so what does it mean to keep the, the fruit alive uh, for people? That's a good one. Yep. And so uh, I got unique. Oh, sorry, Jen, go ahead. Who's going? She so said Jen, so I'll take it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was, she, she done yielded too late now, girlfriend. So I was looking at verse 17. Okay. And, but you, and it seems to me this is a reference to the giants again, but you shall certainly put them under the ban, the, the Hittite, the Amorite, and the Kenite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Yebusite as... Yeah, the, the, they're definitely tribes, and they'll probably have some giants amongst them. And, um, and, and it's the, this list is a shrunken list from what God gives Abraham. Here you only have, I think, one, two, three, five, let's see, you have six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it, it used to have ten, then it shrunk to seven. Now it's down to six. I mean, the tribes keep dying off. Uh, before they get in there, because they eat themselves. But, um, but it, uh, yeah, Aaron. So uh, one thing that I think stands out in this particular chapter is the idea that we should never fear the odds when the Lord is with us, because the Lord is with us. Yes, it's an interesting battle plan. The first thing we do is shrink our army. I mean, um, that doesn't seem that goes completely against everything we understand uh, as a proper battle plan. Um, I mean, obviously we can think of Gideon uh, as well, but here you have with all the laws of warfare, here are the people who don't come to war. Get all your soldiers together and then start trimming them off. I only want the, the heroes to that, that fight, which is interesting um, spiritual application. So we should, when we, when, we, when we get to that section, we should apply it to ourselves and see what we can learn uh, uh, when engaging in the work of the kingdom. I mean, who needs to go to the front and who needs to stay at the back? All right, so any, anything else before we continue? Which brings up verse 11, which is kind of, you know, oh, so God is uh, at this point in Israel's history because of their taking over their land that is theirs, they're allowed to enslave other human beings? Is that mm. I know. Like I said at the beginning, it's a problem. Okay. We've got white people out. Okay. We've had, we've had to deal with that discussion in the past, but now we get to expand our borders outside the land of Israel. Okay. We're talking about conquering territory. That's not inside Israel. We have rules of how to engage them and it involves enslavement. Oh, my gosh, that's not a nice thing to talk about. But it's here. We're going to have to. We're going to have to wrestle with it. We must never run away from the Bible. We must always, yeah, because otherwise our skeptical friends will just laugh at us. Much better to say, okay, I'm ready to talk about it with you. And uh, even if you say, I don't know the answer right now, 
give me your name and number and I'll come back. I'll knock on your door every, every Monday morning, you know, with my little watchtower magazine or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> that not that exactly, but no, you know. no. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> let's, um, let's start with it, with the general topic. Does God go to war? What do you think guys? Yes. It's unique to a time and place in history. I mean, yes, he does for good, but this is not necessarily a good and evil battle. This is a land battle, isn't it? Is it? Let's, let's, remember, let's remember what the, what the book of Hebrews says. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is passages like this which led many early, I'll put this in inverted commas, Christian theologians to come up with the idea that the God of the Old Testament was different to the God of the New Testament and created this uh, sort of Markian idea. But um, uh, d does God go to war? Roddy. Roddy said yes. And uh, um, what would be some New Testament uh, books that would describe God going to war, mate? Any, any ideas? Revelation. Revelation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He gets quite tough in Revelation. That's true. Um, any any modern attempt to tame God really can't explain some of these passages. You know, the sort of the, the God is love and that's all he ever is and all he ever wants to do is give you a big hug, misses Revelation, misses the judgment scenes of Matthew, misses these kind of verses. Don't tame God. Amen. Don't make don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't. He, he is an all-consuming fire. Our theology must fit the Bible. The Bible does not fit our theology. If we have the opportunity to learn, excellent. But uh, God is, as one of his names, Adonai Tsevaot. He, he is the commander of the heavenly armies. And, uh, and why would God build an army? Uh, you would think, no, God's God. He can just snap his fingers and all his enemies fall dead. But there seems to be this, um, I, that, that God himself delights in having a heavenly army. And why not? Okay? Um, warrior gods are very common in the ancient world. Okay, you, can, you probably can all name some of the Greek gods, you know, Ares, uh, you know, uh, Odin, Thor. There's all these very strong, tough gods that would, would fight. Uh, and by the way, our, our god does too. Michael. Michael. Michael uh, does, some of the, does some of the fighting. Um, okay, so let's have a closer look at the text. We are not going to tame the Lord. He is going to tell us about himself when you go out to war against your enemies okay, and that you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own you shall not be afraid of them for the lord your god is with you who brought you up out of the land of egypt so there's moses declaring to the people. Now, the people have already fought. Yes, we've already beaten a bunch of giant kings. Remember Og and uh, Sihon? We have conquered their territory, 60 cities, and also kind of, kind of got used to the whole warfare thing. But um, we're now encouraging the people that uh, this will continue on for a while. So what do we learn 
from these from this initial statement by um, by Moses. Who else goes to war apart from Israel? He's with us. God is with us. Correct. So keep following the sentence. Who else goes to war? The priests. Priests will, yes. God will. Yes. So after the covenant, yes. Yeah, so when, when you when you when you go out to war, and what's the first thing you notice? So we look at the look at the uh, the bad guys. I mean, let's just say they're the bad guys, okay? Um, we're always the good guys, and they're always the bad guys. We, we look at the bad guys, and they're always bigger than us, right? I mean, they've always got more horses, they've always got more chariots, and they've always got a bigger army. Why is that? Because which people group did, did God choose for himself? The smallest. Yes. And he's got it, even though he is the commander of the heavenly armies, and there seems to be a large number of them, He's got this thing about fighting with small armies. And uh, it's in, in weakness, but he's always magnifying his strength. Okay? And uh, so when you go out to war and you see that you're, the enemy is larger than you, well, that's going to be nearly every single time. There are not many nations that Israel's ever going to be bigger than. Right? Um, it doesn't matter how much Aliyah we get. You know, we can fill this place with 40 million Jews. Great. The Arab world around us who doesn't like us, we're still going to have 10 times that number. Um, it's, we're always going to be small. So, However, so, we're not alone. Sorry, Aaron Whittle. So when the Lord takes it, when the Ark of the Covenant goes into battle, that is literally the seat of the Lord God, right? So he's mm -hmm. sitting there in the battle. Yep. So the... Um, uh, in much of the tradition, the ark went with with the people. As uh, as Vida mentioned, priests go to war, which is one of those uh, politics and religion are not separated in the in in the book of Deuteronomy, actually, or in the Bible period. Um, uh, you don't leave the priests at home; uh, they go with you. Uh, not that they're always yeah. Go righty. I'm just thinking in contrast to what we do today. We uh, we don't necessarily, sometimes I suppose we do, but we don't take God with us. While we may always still be smaller in number, we're constantly trying to be bigger, stronger, mightier in our firepower and our weapons, yeah. as opposed to placing the trust where it should be. Mm -hmm. I'm just right. contrasting out loud. No, that's a that's a that's a fair go, mate. And um, let's let's just have a look at modern Israel because it's the closest thing we've got in our in our memory per se. Um, Israel started, and they didn't have lots of tanks, any. They didn't have any planes, didn't have any artillery. Uh, and so, what happened? This ramshackle army of people who were coming off the boat managed to win. Yes. 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 And then when you get a modern-day army with modern-day tanks and modern-day drones and everything, and we go fight Hezbollah in 2006, who won? It wasn't us. It was a draw. You know, you go, we had bigger, better, more firepower, and yet we didn't have the big victory that we had in, when we were small. And, and so we have to it's, – it's a very interesting lesson. Now, it doesn't say not to have uh, armies. 
because in other passages of the Bible, God says, get your, get your swords ready. Get your soldiers ready and come, and come to fight. Okay? Um, so he's not saying don't prepare and don't you know, get better bows or, or swords or sharpen your swords or anything. It's just that uh, let's, as you say, remember where our trust is in. And in a modern context, uh, uh, taking the church, for example, we've just watched a, a, a re, a, a, an old documentary on Dunkirk, for example. Okay. I mean, the whole of the nation of the UK got together under King George to pray, right? And the Lord, in his mercy, gave Britain a great victory by uh, managing to save most of the people off the beaches, for example. So, yep. Yes. Absolutely. There was um, some incredible miracles that occur uh, in, 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 in many of the modern, modern wars, including the ones that uh, have even been most recent um, as well. So the Lord is fighting with them, which is an interesting concept. Uh, and the priests in verse 2, it says, And when you draw near to battle, the priests shall come forward and shall speak to the people. So the priests also go to war, and um, and and much of this included being in, within the form of the Ark of the Covenant, the Aaronobrid. Um, so does the presence of God? Here's a question for you: Does the presence of God guarantee victory? No. Can anyone think of an example where Israel goes to war and doesn't win? The Philistines, but they God with the ark, but he wasn't with them. I. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. I in Joshua, they fail there. Um, in 1 Samuel 4, that's where they lose the ark. Okay. And that's when they take the ark into battle okay, <laughs> and lose completely. So they've got priests and they've got their enemies and they lose. And so um, having God in your midst doesn't necessarily guarantee physical victory, which is an interesting thought. Unless he says so beforehand. Correct. I don't if there's think. a prophecy ahead of time, then yes. Then, but like uh, in, the battle, in the battle of Ai or I or whatever you call it, the people had, there was sin in the camp, so that's why correct. they didn't win. Right, and they—they—that's right. They—they they fail on that one, and they—they they go, "What did we do wrong?" And they look uh, and examine themselves for their sin, and they find a guy, and uh, and they do some things to him, um, which is an interesting thought, because it's—it's an—it's a—it sh that sort of theology shows up in the New Testament. One person's sin affects the entire community. And so what does, the, what does the Lord's Prayer say? Forgive who their sins? Lead us, not in us. Okay, it's a whole community thing. Don't just, don't just forgive me and let the other guy wallow in his sin because I'm in, I'm in big trouble if that happens. No, we want sin out of everybody's uh, lives. And so um, it's a community, community. Yeah, the prayer, the prayer is very interesting. It's your, 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 and then it's us, us, us. us, us. It's, it's, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a great. Yeah, I did have a comment. I just like uh, about the idea of even Marcionism, the Old Testament, and the New. That would be so much of a dispensationalism. But you know, um, when you think that uh, 
like conquest and war would be condemned later. It doesn't. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts, conquest is actually celebrated. And then you have the heroes of the faith, these faithful heroes, war heroes in Hebrews uh, 11. And then, of course, Yeshua, you know, Joshua, Yehoshua is like the great warrior. And and you have Yeshua in, in the name of Yehoshua. So kind of interesting. Yes. yes. So there there is the phrase, blessed are the peacemakers. But also, what is the first thing you have to do when coming to a city? Try and make peace. However, as we also learn learn from Ecclesiastes, there is a time for peace and a time for war. War. And but uh, then, if you look at the Hebrew letters for peace, it's actually it's actually to have peace. You do have to destroy. You know, of course, you have the ancient well, Hebrew. The one of the things we learn from Revelation um, is sometimes evil has to be destroyed by violence. But Lord no. Jesus is coming back as a warrior, if you like, Correct. as a king, right? right. Yeah. So, so sometimes we can actually people? overcome evil with good. That is true. We can. There are sometimes in our in the in the in our uh, environments and in our relationships and in our places of work that um, we can actually destroy evil with good with love, with friendship, with compassion, with, um, with all of those things, with prayer. That's possible. But on the other hand, there are some types of evil that can only be destroyed by violence, which is what we see at Revelation. God comes down and says, okay, it's, it's time to, to actually clean town, and it doesn't involve me being nice to people anymore. That, you know, when that they, yeah. time had ended. Well, you know, when they say that when the cup of the Amorites has, has, has been filled, I, I, it has gone to the point where keeping them alive is to, to the detriment of so many that he will. Yeah. Yep. All right. So the, uh, the phrase that God is with us and um, he, he, so we're not to be afraid. And then Moses always, as he's done before, tacks on a piece of sacred history. He brought you up out of the land of Egypt, which means that this isn't blind faith. The children of Israel, if, the, if a priest stands there and says, God is with you, he brought you out of, e out of Egypt. It's, it's not blind faith. It's our God has revealed how powerful he is. He has shown you what he can do, and he's, and he's the guy that's still with you. And so for us in our walk, our walk on one hand is blind faith in the effect that we haven't seen Jesus. Okay? Unless, of course, any of you have had a vision of the Messiah. But most of us are going to probably say, no, never quite seen the Messiah. However, our faith isn't blind. Because just about everybody here could probably tell us a very good story of the wonderful things God has done in their lives that they've actually seen him do. In which case, your faith is no longer blind because you've so, actually seen him do stuff. I'd argue there, Aaron, that we're not much Correct. different than the crowd that Moses, Moshe is writing to here. Correct. Yeah. Because the, this, this group, they didn't actually see the... Uh, the ten plagues and the, the miracles that happened in Egypt, but they no. did have things that were miracles: the fire, 
the cloud constantly yep. in the desert, yep. but it was different than what the, the mighty things that happened in Egypt. So we're not really that far removed from them. Right. Some yeah. of them would have partaken in the battles of Amalek, and uh, yes. most of them would have taken part in the battles of Og and Sihon and the destruction and the capturing of, of uh, Western Jordan, Eastern Jordan. Aaron, Aaron sorry to interrupt. Is it fair to say that ultimately the Lord God is fighting for what he wants to fight for? Because when, when Joshua is going to cross over, he's going to meet the angel and he's going to say, who do you fight for? I fight for yeah. the Lord of hosts, right? So ultimately the Lord's God plan is in action. So yeah. is that not what he's moving towards? Could be. Yeah, it could be. We have this injunction that we're going to go out and fight. It's not going to be this one-off event. Uh, but there's some plan going on because the master of the universe is actually taking part. Now, just because the master of the universe is taking part doesn't actually always imply that we're going to have victory. Not only that, it also doesn't imply you're not going to die, which is another one of those lessons we have to take heart that when we're on the mission field or, you know, uh, we can't always say the Lord will keep me safe. You know, I'm going to stand in front of this bus and he's going to save me. Well, maybe not. Okay. Um, uh, it, there will be casualties because the, the commanders are going to, when they, when they're whittling down their little army, like we, we had this big army. Now we're going to go into a small army. He constantly says, don't go to war just in case you die. Well, why would I die? God's fighting for me, right? Well, yes, the battle does belong to the Lord, but you're going to have to swing the sword. You're going to have to put the shield up to defend. It's going to have to be, you're going to have to actually have trained for this. Okay. So um, we're getting ready for battle and our priests come forward. So we know that the Lord is with us. We know that he has done great things in the past for us. And we're going to have to get reminded of them because we keep forgetting just like Israel does. We are part of this story. And the priest comes and he starts out by saying, Hear, O Israel. Yep, Shema Israel. That's a nice loaded term for you. Okay, instead of launching into our oath of loyalty, he then says the obvious. Today you're getting ready to draw near battle. And of course, everybody, you can just imagine Israelis going, uh, Yeah, well done, bright spark. Anything else you want to tell me? Um, do not let your heart get faint. Okay, fear not. Um, do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. Fear is the greatest enemy of the gospel. We don't share. We don't advance the kingdom. We don't go and try and heal people or, or fight, fight back the demons because we're too afraid sometimes. But uh, we're being told, don't be afraid. Okay? The Lord is with you. The Spirit is with you. Get out and uh, engage. For the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you to fight against your enemies, to give you the victory. Right? That's the pep talk. Okay? But it still means you're going to have to fight. It still means some of your brothers and sisters are going to fall, which is not always a nice thought. And when those happens, we have to not lose faith. When bad things happen and don't go our way, okay, uh, we can't say that um, the Lord is not with us. You know? uh, for example, this includes uh, our American brothers and sisters who prayed earnestly for a certain result and didn't get it. <laughs> okay? and, and then are struck with, oh, my gosh, where's God right now? Uh, well, he's still with you. 
Okay? I mean, I really honestly, it's just not working out as well some people thought. Uh, Aaron, can I share a verse? Yes, you can. Um, this reminds me of Revelation 21, 8. But as okay. for the cowardly and untrustworthy and abominable and murderers and those who whore and drug sorcerers and idolaters and all the false, their part is in the lake which burns with fire. Cowardly. So the, the point is the cowardly are in with all the, the rest of the, the ones who have done worse things. You know, that's yeah. always to me been a, a sobering thought that the fearful are part of that group. Yep. That's actually an interesting connection. I hadn't thought of that one, but yes, fear is one of the enemies of the gospel. And, and there you see it in revelation. Cowards are leaped in with a whole bunch of other people. Ooh, okay. And Sharon is correct. The result is not yet over. And um, apparently he just won North Carolina. So there you go. Doing well. Okay. Um, Aaron, one interesting thing, the gospel of Mark, uh, it, it kind of portrays Jesus as this new Davidic warrior king. Like he, like as the 12 go out uh, on, you know, on a march to, to conquest the land, you know, the 10 tribes, the, 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 uh, uh, the conquest of the land and then the conquest into new territory against Satan, sin and death. And it's very interesting because in the gospel of Mark, it actually uses a lot of military terms like legions and things like that. So it's kind of like uh, Jesus and his disciples are on a warrior, you know, there's, there's this band of warriors. And it's, it's interesting that in that gospel, it does have more of the, those military terms. So I just thought. So on the physical level, like on the literal level, we do have armies and we do have to fight. And so big discussions can be had on what is a just war. And uh, Christian theologians have, for you know, over a thousand years, talked about this. Thomas Aquinas, I think, still leads the pack on um, what is a just war. Okay, and, uh, and and modern day principles of warfare are guided upon what you can and can't do in, during, and after battles. And uh, where do they get this stuff from? You won't find this in the secular world. It, it comes from, from the Bible. Spiritually, of course, we have another type of warfare, as, you, as we know. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. What do we wrestle with? Yes, principalities and powers. And we have a different type of weapon. But we have a weapon, and we have to fight. And so we get, there's going to be this discussion. Who fights? Who doesn't fight? Who, gets, who goes to the battle? Who doesn't go to the battle? Uh, and we should take those things to heart. Okay? Let's not send uh, people who shouldn't be fighting to go fight. Okay? We have to be conscious of that. Uh, but anyway, so here we are. The priest gives his little pep talk. God is with you. Right? He doesn't say God will do all the fighting. Just sit down and wait to clean up. That doesn't happen. There's no passive passivity here. The officers, you've got your um, uh, various types of commanders. So there's ranks. They shall speak to the people. And we begin to get into this section where you shrink your army. Now, why would you do that? What would be some of the reasons why you would shrink your army before going to battle? Fear breeds on fear. That's one thing. One thing is, yet yeah, get rid of all the the, 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 the afraid soldiers. And weakness yeah. is one weakness. Yeah. And only have the gung-ho ones, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Keep the gung-ho guys. I want G.I. Joe and only G.I. Joe. Okay. This, this reminds me of... The battle this reminds me of Gideon. 
and, and yes, the battle that Gideon went through and the Lord is just, you know, he's going to be shown mighty by the 300, you know, this is like, yep. are you serious, God? You know, this is, this is classic Gideon. Yeah, this is classic Gideon. But Moses is saying it before Gideon. He's giving the rules which are to be done. Okay. And uh, so you shrink your army. So Aaron, what are some of the, yeah. I, I, when I read this, it's, it's, it also, um, what struck to me that, is that you can't be half-hearted. Right. Because it's, you're thinking of your house at home, you're thinking of your wife, you're thinking of everything. So you're either into the battle or you're not into the battle. Yep. And it's just like the Lord said, you know, you, the guy, yep. you know, I want to follow you. And he says, well, let the, the dead bury the dead, right? You can't be half, half. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's, just, that's, that's, that's right. It, Jesus says exactly the same thing. He wants fully committed believers. What's one of the dangers of, ha of going into battle with only a half heart? You've, you've mentioned it. You're thinking of something else. So what's, what's the potential danger that will happen? You're not alert. Not alert. So what will happen? You're going to retreat. You're going to run away. At the, first, at the first sign of stress, you will run. You yep. put yourself, and more importantly, you put everybody else in danger. People might die. So actually... Self and others. Correct. What's actually going on, what Moses is doing, is he's trying to preserve life. Right? You're going to war. Obviously, that means you're going to kill life. But at the same time, on the other side, Moses is doing his best to preserve as much life as possible. So I don't want people who are just going to run in and get shot. Okay? I don't want to go over the top and just get butchered. We're not doing that. We're only going to fight the, the people who, who want to be out of fight, who can handle it, who can, who can even take the consequence of the fight. And uh, so this is actually a very interesting thing. The purpose of this, of this passage even though it's concerning warfare, isn't to run out and destroy life. It's actually to preserve as much of it as possible, which is interesting. So does this mean then that those who go to war literally are those who live by the sword will die by the sword? That's a good question. Okay, which means, um, you know, what does that mean in spiritually for those who are on the front lines? It's a, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. All right. It is interesting. Expand on that. And at the same time, Revelation, uh, somewhere in there, it talks about if you pick up the sword during this time, and I forget what the context is, that you will die by the sword there. And I think yeah. it's a different passage, David, than what you're talking about. I think so. And if you run from captivity, you will be put into captivity. You are so we're supposed to have complete faith during this time period in Revelation. Okay. I think it goes along with this idea that, that Mr. Butterfield is talking about. Right. Yeah. So in terms of shrinking our uh, army, we start with people who have new houses and, uh, and, and people who have planted vineyards and people who have just gotten married and people who are afraid. And each of these uh, warnings is lest he die in the battle, which implies that even though you're the children of the Lord, even though you're the people of God, even though God is with you and you can do all kinds of miracles, uh, you've just had Moses, the ark, and the priests are there, people can still fall. And we have to 
acknowledge that within our own walk with the Lord, that there will be casualties amongst our community. And it's hard when it happens. It really is. It's always hard to, to watch a brother fall, um, whether it's in battle or through sickness or through all kinds of different things that, that happen, or just to watch things not work out the way we thought they would. Okay. Um, uh, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's part of the, that story. Okay. Uh, so in terms of fearful and being faint hearted, um, Christine mentioned it. God only wants willing fighters. Okay. If he's, um, uh, if he knows his heroes and he's going to choose people to fight for him, then he will choose the ones who are willing. Okay. He's not going to choose, uh, the cowards and things. And, um, and that's, that's, uh, and Jennifer put the, the classic example that gives us all uh, that kind of hope is Gideon, who initially started with an army of about 30,000 and it got whittled down to 300, uh, literally 1% of his initial, initial army. All right. So the small, the Davids will always defeat uh, the Goliaths. But that doesn't, include, doesn't mean that there's going to be, not going to be casualties. All right. So... Verse 10, so we've whistled our little army down. We are going to war. God is with us, and we're drawing near a city to fight against it. What's the first thing we actually do? We try and make peace, which is bizarre because we've just started to go to war. No, actually, the very first thing we really should do is peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. There is a time for peace. That's what we really want to start with. However, it might be that we don't get peace. Okay? But the first thing you do is, um, is, is, uh, is make peace. Okay? Um, uh, in, in Jewish exegesis, they look at um, Jacob and Esau as models for how you should prepare for war. Remember when Jacob is coming back from... Um, his time away, he's got himself a couple of wives now and he's got himself a plethora of kids and um, servants and cattle and all that, all that kind of stuff. And he hears his brother Esau is coming with 400 men. Now, the text doesn't say Esau is coming with 400 men to kill you. Okay? It just says he's coming with 400 men. His, his implication is, oh, my gosh, we're going to get killed. Um, and so then what does he do? Presents. <laughs> Sorry? He sends presents. Yes. First thing you do, send gifts, right? You know, like bribe. He's like, you don't really want to fight me. Here's an ice cream. You don't really want to fight me. Here's 20 shekels. We need more. Here's 100 um, You know, the next thing you do is um, uh, you, uh, what else did he do? Anyone remember? He bowed before Esau, didn't he? Yeah, he divided up his uh, thing. He made preparations. Yeah. And there was actually one thing he did even before that. He prayed. So um, you, you attempt to make peace with your bribe or however. You prepare for war by dividing up your forces. And then you go and engage. But in this case, he ended up getting a hug and reconciliation. But... Um, Pray. And he said, come on, come on, let's walk together. Let's hang out. Let's be together. Yeah. 
He's yeah. like, I'm out of that one. <laughs> yeah. There's um, the one of the guys that I study with uh, is an artist and he did a really nice picture of Jacob and Esau hugging, but the way he painted them, he made them blend and merge. So you couldn't tell where Esau started and, and Jacob finished. He sort of said that their reconciliation was a, was a complete one. It was a, it was a real, real reconciliation. I know, Aaron, there's that whole concept of, you know, the Gentiles being in, in you know, with the rabbinic literature, or even just the whole concept of us being the Esau's, right? And then when the Messiah comes, we will recognize and bow down and, and have that reconciliation. Right. The, yeah, the, yeah, the, the Gentiles who get taken out of the room when the Messiah is revealed with the brothers of Joseph and are then brought back in later. Yeah, there's a, a lot of those images that appear but eventually we're all together so the first thing we need to do is seek peace okay blessed are the peacemakers but that doesn't mean they're going to accept the terms and if they don't accept terms um uh then we have to fight however verse 11 now i can't remember which one of you uh mentioned this but this is an interesting um yeah conundrum verse 11 and if it responds to you peacefully and it opens to you so we've made peace great then what happens then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you oh okay <laughs> so it's not that we all shake hands you know and um we all go great we'll start diplomatic relations now i'll build an embassy in bahrain you can build an embassy here we'll start flight it's all fantastic um this actually uh implies that there's actually going to be some form of servitude, some form of tribute. And you actually see this in, in the invasions in, uh, in Joshua. Um, you know that some of the, of the tribes of the, that were living in the, in the land of Canaan didn't uh, fight against Israel. Right? They actually tricked Israel into making uh, them servants. And Israel took them in. Right? Joshua actually fulfilled this, this command. He said, okay, you're right. I will uh, make you servants. We don't like the idea of, in our day and age uh, of having um, people do this kind of stuff. And uh, we don't tend uh, uh, to enact literal forced labor, though some uh, armies do. In, the, in Western empires, when we capture territory, what do we usually do? with our conquered foes. Anyone know? We have pay for reparations. Yes, that's right. We actually ask them for money. Yes. That is correct. And so after we defeated Germany in World War One and in World War Two, uh, we made them pay for it. Okay. Uh, we sent them a big bill. We said, listen, you tended to blow stuff up. That wasn't very nice. Uh, here's the bill. And uh, we make people pay for it. These yeah. days... Um, like in Iraq, we build it all for them. Okay, you know, we blow it up, but then say we're really good at fixing stuff. Uh, so we we uh, we end up um, building new houses. Aaron, is is there an implication here that because the Lord God it says when you go in, these specific people you will get rid of, right? This is so what, maybe what maybe what he's saying because he already knows that they're not going to do it, that the next step here will be to push them push them into slavery or servitude, right? Well, the actual later on, it just it says these are the these are the cities that are far from you. The the 
verses 10 to 15 relate to cities that are not actually in the land. Because um, it says, thus in verse 15, thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the cities of the nations here. So it creates an interesting theological, we, 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 talked, we touched on it last week, um, the idea that there's room for expansion. Now, we don't like to talk about that because we like to talk about, well, actually, you know, we've got borders and things, although the rest of the world doesn't have any borders. You know, everyone can just migrate wherever they feel like it. But Israel's got borders. And the smaller, the better, according to the international community. Right? But um, uh, God seems to have this idea that they actually can grow. They're not static, that it actually can move beyond the allotted portion. It is not something we like to talk about because not people, uh, unless, of course, you're a Zionist uh, settler who wants to expand uh, into Iraq <laughs> or you head out to the Euphrates or whatever and say, yeah, we can take that. Um, but the, it's actually there in the text that, that, that there is this room to expand. But when you are expanding outside the wall, the boundaries of allotted Israel, what we call Israel, okay, the land of the 12 tribes, and you're going beyond that, these are the rules. Well, what and, are these uh, rules exactly? We're not really laying it out there. It says to go and ask for peace. It does. All right. And then it says, if they accept the terms of peace, but what are the terms of peace? They knock on the gate and they say, uh, we would like to make peace with you, which means you're going to come and be our slaves and work for us. And if not, we're going to take your city and kill all your men and then take your wives and children. I mean, I got to be fair here because I'm not against all this scripture. I'm for it, but we got to lay out the, 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 the even sideness of what it says. Uh, Roddy, you're absolutely right. The text doesn't say what the terms are. It tells you the results of not accepting the terms. You're absolutely right. It doesn't say what the terms are. It just, it obviously gives the, the community some leeway to have negotiations. But the but, end result is if you labor. don't... Sorry, what is it? Forced labor. Yes, the end result is tribute, forced labor, or some sort of uh, occupation. Now, isn't that a horrible thought? I mean, you say the word occupation these days, and it's just about people have apoplectic fits. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there could be, you know, as you're expanding, you actually might have your soldiers sitting in other people's territory, which, by the way, the West still does. Right? <laughs> there are Amer American Quarter army bases. We still Quarter got them. Yeah. And the quartering of, so of soldiers during yeah. the Civil War, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, it, but you're right. There, there doesn't seem to be um, a... There's no rule for the negotiation of what's actually inside the negotiation. There's just a, a rule for the result of a failed negotiation. Um, uh, a successful one involves servitude of some description, but the, a failed negotiation involves uh, war. Now, this, um, these verses here, like in 12, but if it makes no peace with you, makes war against you, then besiege it. Okay, so the usual tactic of, of taking a city. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, okay, so this, the victory is always the Lord's. 
right? It, it doesn't matter how long it takes for the besieging. It doesn't matter how many heroes you had storm the walls. The, um, the, uh, the, what was the, what do you say there, Bernardo? He's not detailed here, but we are commanded to treat them good because we were slaves in, in, in Egypt. That is correct. Good point, Bernardo. So when we are the occupier, we have to make sure when we don't behave the same as the Egyptians, uh, which is, but um, try and try and flesh out what would be, uh, if you were Israel and you were besieging a pagan city, what would be one of the terms for surrender? Think about it, guys. What do you think? It's not in the text. What could you imagine it might be? No more idols. Yep. Yeah. Good start. That is the big one. The first thing would be we win. Uh, all of this got to go. Right? You, you can't have idols, which means what would you be doing? Tearing them down. Okay. So now they've got no idols. What, what, what gods are left for them? Introducing them to the Lord God, the living God. There you go. You would send in your missionaries. You would say, look, um, we win. Obviously, our God's better than your God. So we're going we're to burn all these idols, melt them all down, uh, build a road or a public toilet or something, whatever we're going to do. But you're going to have to worship something. Now, why don't you worship the true God? And uh, you don't know who he is, so we're going to introduce him to you. So in come a bunch of our priests. We've all learned your language, whatever it is. Um, and uh, we're going to translate the Bible into your language. And here we go. And don't forget uh, and the so circumcision would, brigade. It could be. It, you might want to force convert them. The Maccabees certainly did. <laughs> when you actually read the Maccabees, well, particularly Maccabees 1, uh, less so Maccabees 2, but particularly Maccabees 1, you will discover that they do this almost to the letter. They will march up to towns. They will tell everybody, become Jews or die. I mean, that's... That's your peace off offer. Make peace with us. You got it. You will you become good little Jews. Where we get King Herod from, um, his family uh, suffered from this. But for the cities that don't, uh, they wipe them out. Now, that this this biblical uh, method of doing war wasn't unique to Israel. Okay, um, the Jewish people did it, but actually, so did everybody else, and that includes <gasps> the Crusaders. Everybody here always gives the Crusaders a really bad rap. They actually just followed this rule. They marched up to a city, said, give peace. And if you give peace, we'll take some of your stuff. But if you don't make peace, we'll kill everybody. And then we turn around and go, oh, that's terrible and bad. So we'll read Deuteronomy 20 then. They're just doing, the, they're doing what God said, okay? Um, try not to take modern day values and start dumping them on, on the past. Uh, really shouldn't do that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so yeah, idol worship would be a good one. What would be some of the other, other things? Get rid of uh, idols, what else might be a good one? Change your laws, right? We would say, you know, you can't offer your children to your fire gods anymore. You can't do um, you can't have, you know, 20, 30, 40 wives anymore. You can, you got to shrink all this down. So we would implement the, the, the just society that we're trying to create. All right. We were trying to say, uh, we're going to, you know, we want you to basically be like us. Okay. And, and, you know, I find what you're saying so interesting because 
this is the way the Lord God wanted and how he's supposed to be. The guys behind you, Alexander, for example, would go through all these nations absorbing and assimilating all these different religions, right? Yeah. Now, we seem to be back in that position, right, in this day and age, where everybody's trying to do a multiple faith type thing, isn't it? Yes, and we shouldn't do that. What, okay, so, so the battle is the Lord's, but we're partaking in the battle. So what should be our response to the world? How do we engage in this war, spiritually speaking? We, we try to make peace, but we also try to tear down their gods <laughs> and introduce the truth. We try and change their laws. So if we don't like abortion, then we do our best to try and change that law. Okay, we don't. We've got to, we, 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 we try and, and give the light. We don't retreat from it. Um, we engage in it. We pray. We intercede. But we also petition, vote, get elected. You know, get more conservatives into the justice or whatever it is. I don't know how it works in other nations. Sack the uh, the House of Lords and get ourselves a new bunch of lords. Whatever is the the options that we've got, but we don't run away. Uh, we don't shrink from the fight. Um, we bravely step, step up, step up into it because eventually we're going to win anyway. So, uh, we, when the Lord gives it to you into your hand, we, uh, in verses verse 13. Okay. So we acknowledge that the Lord is the one who gives us the victory. We've got to put all the males to the sword. Oof. Okay. Now, why would we do that? What, what is so intrinsic in the Bible about that or around that time period? Possible leaders and warriors of kings. Yes. Correct. Yeah. There is this potential. Yeah. Yeah. There's the potential that um, that uh, they will remain enemies, perpetual enemies. So just like in Revelation, just like in Revelation, sometimes some evil, unfortunately, has to be purged by violence. Um, and, and, and God knows that. God knows. Look, that, that town that you're going to go fight, they worship idols. They've got false gods. And if you don't get rid of this, it'll come back and bite you. So get rid of them. But we can keep the women. Now, why can we keep the women? Because they're just nicer, right? You know, ne- w- women never fight, right? You know, um, unless, of course, you're in the Israeli army and then you're in real trouble. They're the, they're the best soldiers. Okay, but the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else, this will be your booty, shalal in Hebrew. This will be your war booty. And you can take it as plunder for yourselves, and you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies. People don't like that when they read it, that God turns around and says, you may go fight, and you can enjoy your victory. Okay, but we should. We should be able to enjoy the fruits of our victory. When we actually succeed in something and new people become to faith or uh, we actually win and, and, and change an abortion law, we should be happy. We should be able to say, yay, God wins. Let's celebrate and, and actually sing and dance for a while. But uh, we're allowed to keep women um, and we're allowed to keep children. Uh, they, what will happen to them? That's a good question. Yeah, let's let's try and answer. I mean, it doesn't actually physically say here per se. We get hints of it in other parts of like Leviticus and, and, and Numbers. What's going to happen to the women and children? I would imagine they're going to have a new husband. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, what happened to your husband? Oh, I killed him. I'm terribly sorry. Um, I'm not doing anything on the weekend. You can marry me. Yeah, 
But they're not uh, so, not so fast because there's rules about that. There is. They may have to get rid of their <laughs> promise to get rid of their idols before they do that. Correct. The first thing you have to mixing up is idolatry. So you so, can take them into your house, and if they do join your household, not necessarily as wives, but as household servants, which you will treat fairly, what will be the implication you will do with them? Procreate. Well, it's one thing, but Sharon's right. Conversion and assimilation. You'll you'll teach them. You'll 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 teach them to uh, love the Lord, and um, and it might be that a young guy who was three years old when his city got captured grows up to be a mighty warrior for the Lord one day, which is possible. And uh, you can see, uh, you know, many of David's heroes weren't even Jewish, right? You know, many of his uh, best soldiers. Were, were actually from uh, uh, Gentile tribes. Uh, Bernardo, what was your comment, man? Is it implied here that uh, women are not in the army? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, not in modern Israel, but um, but this is, we're talking about our enemies here. Not no, no, yeah, yeah, but I mean the 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 Hebrew army. Yeah, it does it doesn't mention or it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't mention that women are not or right. in the army. That's true. Whether, yeah. Yep, you're right. It, it seems to be that only the men are, are actually in the army, and that tended to be the way it went for thousands of years. Uh, Sharon has a very good question, and, and it's 100% true. This does sound jihadist. <laughs> it does sound like, you know, the people we would say, Islam is not a religion of peace. Well, this seems yeah, ISIS was, yeah, ISIS was going all through, yeah. through the, you know, rampaging, taking the women, yeah. assimilation, conversion, it's the same yeah. thing, yeah. It just, of course... It's a it's a tough one, guys. We have to actually acknowledge that here is here is the Lord telling his people, please go into the land. Please set up a society that's going to reflect my character. I understand completely that uh, you, you will eventually engage in war. Treaties will break down and there will be people who will go to war. You'll have to go to war. And when you do, here are the rules. We will do our best to minimize casualties. We will not send the fearful into battle. We will not send people who have just gotten married into battle. We will limit the size of our army. Not only that, the first thing we're going to try and do when we actually fight is not fight. We're going to try and make peace. That's the first thing we're going to do. And, uh, and then if that doesn't work, then we will actually engage in, in war. And when we do, we're going to make sure that we never have to fight again. This isn't going to be a perpetual ongoing campaign where we fight and then a generation later we fight again and you know a thousand years from now one tribe has always fighting with another tribe no you fight once you and god is here. god is a good god i mean and he says when you go into the land and you conquer and you're just like them you're out yeah you cannot follow what they followed you have you to can't. You, 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 cannot leave, you can't have the danger of uh of of being enticed into their gods um and also let's remember the uh 1650 to 1720 why isn't all of america jewish who settled america 
Okay. Yeah, Jews. Christians. No, yeah. Christians did. They're not all Jews in America because Christians came in and they took over. And when they went in and took out the indigenous people, it was either become a Christian or you will die or we will yeah. take your land. Or about yeah. a 3,000 mile stretch. Yeah. So, just, so what's the what's the comment on that one, Brody? What's that? The, that Christianity is really no different, at least in no, of course the not. Western part of it, Correct. than what we are implying jihad or what's in the Bible right here. Correct. We all do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Everybody I've, does. I've, we've mentioned. Hopefully, I've mentioned that before. We don't uh, separate ourselves from this, and we have to remember that we we read the Peshat and we take the lesson from that. But we must also look at the spiritual implications and see how we can exegete this into our um, modern walk with the Lord as we're trying to set up uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, here on here on uh, on the earth. I guess um, I feel like I was reading a little bit ahead just as an extra comment, but we'll get into it next week when we do chapter 21, because the rebellious son, even within, not just on our outside of us, the rebellious son is rebellious. And so their solution is, you know, to stone him and purge the evil from in so i guess the principle is that god wants evil out good in yep evil out good in so how do we need to react in our modern day life how do we take these um principles to to us as a community what do you think guys We need to expand the kingdom of heaven, right? We need brave people to be able to tell other traditions, your gods are wrong, <laughs> right? We can't assimilate. Too much of the Christian world has done that. I don't know, that comment was made here somewhere that um, we've become very synchronistic with 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 uh, with the world and um, and so we're embracing all kinds of evils and calling them good completely now lost our witness we have got no gospel to sell and our churches are becoming empty and um, and so the best thing to do is as the priests would say be strong have courage. Your God is with you. You actually can't lose, guys. Well, actually, you can. But your God is with you, so we want the bravest to go in, into battle. If you're uncertain, if you've got some doubts, if you're not ready to be able to debate the faith, don't go and try, right? You're just going to fall, and not only that, you might bring other people down with you. Um, you send the the warrior, the trained one, the apologists, the evangelists. You know, they're the ones that go out and they boldly declare or say what's right, what's wrong, and um, and then take over. And once you do take over, you know, you you bring you bring the truth. Yeah, you tear down the idols and you keep sharing the gospel, build some new new communities, uh, and and expand. But you can't leave. The, the evil there because we've seen it all throughout history whenever we do that it, it corrupts uh, the community both both the Jewish world and the Gentile world right um, and so these were Jewish principles but the Christian response is I guess like in Revelation by the word of 
their testimony in the word of God they conquered. Yeah. And then also our weapons are, are not, you know, correct earthly warfare, but we pray and we cast down arguments and yeah. principalities and powers that set themselves up. So by the power of God, then we will conquer good, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. the difference between it and jihad, I guess. Not physically. Yeah, no, but, that would be, but what about physically? I mean, okay. now we're talking about spiritual warfare that we all go through. Yep. But right now we are going through a physical war between Israel and other nations. Right. So Israel, although, as although physical... some of them are accepting the peace treaties and all that. Yeah. That that's like a different, a different, but what do we do with the Palestinians who want to claim that land as Palestine Good and question. want to get Israel out? That is, that is real. That's a fact. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. It absolutely is. And, uh, some, and sometimes the easiest decisions are actually made when there's a war. Uh, you can argue and you can debate and you can have Oslo agreements and you can, but eventually when people are fighting, uh, your armies clash and it's, uh, the answer is a lot clearer when the dust settles because you've either won or you've, uh, you've lost. It's right. not something we always like to say. However, we do have to remember, try and make peace. But when you can't make peace, just as Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for peace, but there's also a time for war. But whichever, whichever way, Aaron, the Lord God has already stated what's going to happen with Israel, with the allocation to the tribes, it stands. It's and nobody, be, no one will ever be, be able to undo that. That's also true. Uh, that's right. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so, again, the, the last thing we can do is ever hold to Scripture and say, okay, Lord, I've read your word and I know you've promised this to, to these people. So, um, and, and, uh, and we can trust that the Lord will also defend his own honor in that respect. Um, uh, you know, how, how God felt for several thousand years when Israel wasn't here, well, that's he will tell us when we see him. Okay. Um, but uh, they are here now, and uh, and uh, and it's yeah, and it's an interesting thought. Uh, do, does Israel have peace with all their modern day uh, nations around about us? No, no, we don't. And uh, for those who are in the army here uh, that talk to us, uh, they tell us that uh, that currently that they are preparing for an engagement in the north. That's what they're training for. That's what they're preparing their armies for because they fully anticipate that sooner or later there'll there'll be a fight in the north uh what that looks like i don't know um i'm pretty sure none of us actually do um but they're, they're practicing um which is which is interesting um will we have a, a another palestinian uprising it's possible um It'll be different because now there's a really big wall that separates Israel from, from the Palestinians and they don't have as much easy access to get in and, and blow stuff up like they did before. So the, the, game, the game has changed, which is interesting. Um, but again, we shall see what happens. So physically, physically in, in real, real, real environment, Israel, the Israeli army does follow some of these rules. For example, if you are newly married, they will do their best not to send you into battle. Okay, it doesn't always work. Okay, um, uh, if you are the only son, okay, they they don't send you into battle. 
bank, you know, only child. Okay, they got Mike, this Mike, very... Micah accident, no, Micah <laughs> could yeah, have avoided well, that, huh? <laughs> well, Micah's already had the phone call from the army saying, because um, they they thought he was a, a lone soldier. And so they said, you can't, you can't be combat, you're, you're, you're here by yourself. And he's like, what, you know, uh, kind of standing in my parents' house right now. Uh, all right. Okay, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.